You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Eastern North Carolina has always been a region that's never gotten its equitable share of resources. It's never gotten what it was justly due. That's That's right. right. But we in Eastern North Carolina have always done what? Made it work. But I come before you today to tell you that we need some help. Hello and welcome to Domecast. I'm Jordan Schrader, hosting this week, and with me are Will Doran and Andy Spey of the News and Observer. Uh, It's been a while since we've come to you with Domecast. We had... Uh, a hurricane that disrupted things just a bit and uh, many people focused on anything other than politics for a while Uh, and uh, now we've had a uh, special session where legislators have passed some relief money related to Hurricane Florence Um, so Will let's start with that Uh, what are lawmakers doing to respond uh, to the storm that caused so much damage and so much flooding in eastern North Carolina? Well, right off the bat this week, we got uh, $50 million that the legislature appropriated uh, out of the state's rainy day fund that's going to be able to go to immediate disaster relief needs. Uh, Also another, I think it was $6.5 million going specifically to schools that have been shut down in the areas affected by the hurricane, paying some school staff, uh, you know, since they've been out of work for the last, you know, several weeks and in a lot of cases are going to continue to be out of work and the legislature wanted to make sure that, you know, all those school employees still, you know, got paid anyways. Um, So uh, just short of $60 million uh, this week, uh, we heard from some uh, some groups, some activists who said that a lot more needs to be done and we need to be focused not just on short-term but on long-term funding. Um, I was uh, there at their uh, press conference that they had on Tuesday, uh, some really impassioned speeches uh, from some some people who had come into Raleigh from Lumberton, from Fair Bluff, uh, from you know the outskirts of Wilmington, just that whole you know, southeastern corner of the state that got hit so hard, you know, two, two and a half feet of rain in some places. Uh, terrible flooding, and they're all they're all really concerned. Uh, heard from a couple of people who said that they still hadn't even gotten the money yet from Hurricane Matthew disaster relief to rebuild their homes. Uh, they were still waiting on that, and now, you know, here comes Florence. So, a lot of I think frustration with the the government's response, both at the state and the federal level, to Hurricane Matthew, and hope that the uh, that the response now to Florence is going to be. A little quicker uh, than after Matthew, and uh, maybe a little bit uh, larger too, at least in you know the scope of the money that gets sent out. Uh, and we did hear from the legislature that this fifty-six million dollars that they uh, voted to spend on Tuesday is not going to be everything. They were very clear that this is basically just down payment. I think was the the quote that uh, got used, uh, and that we're going to get more as we figure out more about the extent of the damages and what types of federal money is going to come because a lot of the money that the state is going to end up spending is really actually just matching funds for 
federal money that comes in. So the federal government says, okay, we have this money we want to send you, but we require the state to pitch in 10% or something like that. So the state's got to do a lot of that. And we saw uh, Congress also uh, stepped up and uh, voted to approve a little over a billion dollars in federal aid for North Carolina. Um, and I think it was around half of a billion, around 500 million for South Carolina. Um, and similar to the state legislature, Congress said, this is a start. It's not going to be the end. There's going to be more, but let's do this just to get things rolling. And we did see this after Matthew with uh, fairly quick action by the legislature and by Congress to um, send out the money. But as you said, um, some people are, are still waiting. So is that just bureaucratic red tape or um, what? What do you know about how, why it takes so long for some of this money to get out the door? Well, it depends on how you ask, or who you ask, I should say. And it, it is a little bit of a political controversy, the, basically who is to blame for the, uh, the, the slow distribution of some uh, funding from Hurricane Matthew. Like you said, some money did get spent immediately, um, hundreds of millions of dollars. But there was also a lot of money for housing aid, around a quarter of a billion that only started getting sent out to local residents gosh maybe a month ago it was it was only several weeks ago i think it's probably it's been since the last time we've done casted um and the republican legislators have blamed the cooper administration saying that uh basically he came into office right when all of this uh, aid was starting up, because you remember Hurricane Matthew was right before the 2016 elections. So they said basically he came in, he wasn't prepared, and his administration has kind of dropped the ball on uh, getting this housing funding out, letting people rebuild their homes, repair their homes, etc. Cooper, on the other hand, blames it on the Trump administration and says that there are just way too many steps within the federal government, which is in charge of sending all this money out, that uh, the state had to deal with tons of bureaucratic red tape and just not really a sense of urgency in the federal government to help the state in any way get this money out to people quickly. Um, So, you know, it's kind of a political he said, she said. um, But the fact of the matter is it it did take two years, uh, and whoever is to blame politically for that, obviously the people on the ground are not happy either way. And uh, a few of the other things that the legislature did while they were here this week, um, they offered some more flexibility on voter registration by uh, extending the deadline for people to register to vote if they want to vote on Election Day to October 15th. Um, They did some, uh, they waived uh, up to 20 school days in some of the counties that were hardest hit by the storm. I mentioned the election uh, changes. Actually, the NAACP wanted further changes. They wanted uh, lawmakers to also make it easier to vote absentee. Uh, They didn't touch absentee voting. However, they did uh, pass some money that will go to the State Board of Elections for voter education efforts and uh, in in flood-stricken counties. And so um, they'll try to make sure everyone knows exactly what they can do uh, to vote. Um, anything else about the storm before we move on? Oftentimes people get nervous when the legislators come back to Raleigh, not knowing, you know, will they pull something that, you know, no one expects. Uh, and that didn't happen this time. 
Uh, happened after Matthew. Remember that special session for the Matthew money was when the legislature really started uh, started passing a lot of the laws that kind of took away power from the governor's office. Right. And in, in this case, the news is that there was no, no uh, unrelated news mm-hmm. uh, when it came to Florence. Um, so that in and of itself was uh, reassuring to, to many people. Um, or refreshing, I should say. And they're supposed to be, legislators are supposed to be back uh, October 15th. So we'll see um, what, if anything else, um, they do um, before the election. Uh, the two big stories that have dominated the news are Florence and also um, the Brett Kavanaugh, Kavanaugh Supreme Court confirmation process. Um, there's news going on as we speak on that. Uh, they've just taken, uh, I think, the first of a couple votes. Uh, but uh, in the last couple weeks, we've had a few North Carolina angles, because there's always North Carolina angles to any of these big national stories. Um, and uh, a few of them in- included the NC State professor who weighed in on Kavanaugh, Chad Luddington. Uh, he wanted to talk to the FBI about Kavanaugh's drinking in college. Luddington was a Yale classmate of Kavanaugh. And he had said that Kavanaugh was um, belligerent when he was drunk, and he felt like Kavanaugh was not entirely truthful at his hearing when he downplayed his uh, drinking and his behavior while drinking. Um, we also had uh, the executive director of the state Republicans, Dallas Woodhouse, weighing in on another Kavanaugh accuser, uh, not Christine Blasey Ford, the um, sort of the one who testified to the Senate, but um, Julie Swetnick another accuser, and uh, saying that she was a criminal, uh, saying basically that either she uh, was complicit in uh, the behavior that she said was going on at these parties that Kavanaugh attended when he was young, or um, because she didn't report it, or she was lying to the Senate. Um, She's the one that's represented by Michael Avenetti. Is that how you pronounce his name? think so who was recently in a long twitter feud with dallas woodhouse i saw (laughs) yes woodhouse and avenatti went back and forth uh avenatti told him to go back to the 1940s uh woodhouse told avenatti uh he was a used car salesman i think i can't remember all the the details of that uh but yes they went at it and um, then most recently we had lanny lancaster a cabarrus county republican chairman who um, weighed in on Christine Blasey Ford. And Andy, you wrote about this. Why did this make the news? This made the news because he shared a an old photo that's circulating on social media and in chain emails and things like that that shows a woman from the 80s with a perm haircut, big hair, and big glasses and braces uh, and people are using it to and saying that it's uh christine ford when in fact it is not that but that hasn't stopped people from posting it and suggesting that it is ford and saying wow can you believe that she looked like this and the insinuation there is um whether or not mr lancaster wanted to admit it that uh someone who looks a certain way wouldn't be as likely to be sexually assaulted as say uh you know, a cheerleader, a, you know, a tennis player in this case. Um, and so we fact-checked uh, Mr. Lancaster. We, our, uh, our own Rashan Aish, uh, tracked down the photo's origins and found that it's been 
on the internet since 2010, 2012. Um, it's just sort of a generic stock yearbook photo that people use to make funny memes. And in recent days has been repurposed to um, attack uh, Dr. Ford. Uh, so Mr. Lancaster uh, spoke to us on the phone and said that he didn't mean to insinuate that, that he just wanted people to see the truth about Dr. Ford. Uh, interpret that as you may. Um, but Ironic since it was a fake photo. Right, right. And so that's where we are. Um, it uh, entered the political arena when Democratic congressional candidate uh, Frank McNeil, a Democrat who's challenging uh, Richard Hudson in Congressional District 8, uh, put it in an email newsletter saying, you know, would you look at this, the, how Republicans are treating sexual har- harassment victims? They're, you know, downplaying their experience. They're, you know, uh, just treating them unfairly and things like that. Uh, Lancaster, in that phone interview with us, said that he thought McNeil's attack of him was childish and immature and that he should focus on big issues, not, you know, some, uh, you know, party officials' Facebook posts. But uh, that's where we are with uh, that case in particular and just how, you know, this controversy controversy over uh, Dr. Ford and Brett Kavanaugh is playing out. Um, at least in Cabarrus County and in District 8 with Frank McNeil. Uh, I think his district is lean Republican. I think uh, according to many of our uh, or many of the uh, uh, political experts out there, but hey, he's using it as much as he can, at least in this case. So We also, uh, it's been a while since we don't cast it last, so it's, we also had a... Um uh, another North Carolina connection to Kavanaugh, which was that Garrett Ventry, who uh, worked for the Senate Judiciary Committee as a media aide, um, who was helping actually lead uh, the response among Republicans um, to Ford's allegations, uh, stepped down uh, because of reports uh, in the national media that uh, he had been accused of sexual harassment in a previous political job. And it turns out that was a job in North Carolina. He had uh, been the social media advisor for House Majority Leader John Bell here. Uh, so uh, the NBC News uh, asked uh, Bell about uh, why he was let go, and uh, Bell declined to give details. Um, but uh, Ventry denies all allegations of wrongdoing. I'm a retired school psychologist, and helping people was my thing. After my stroke, when Meals on Wheels started, I was on the other end of the stick, so to speak. My name is Julius Gaines, creative writer, poet, photographer. One in six seniors faces the threat of hunger, and millions more live in isolation. Drop off a hot meal and say a quick hello. Volunteer for Meals on Wheels by donating your lunch break at americaletsdolunch.org. This message brought to you by Meals on Wheels America and the Ad Council. You're listening to the Domecast, where news and observer journalists take a look back and forward in North Carolina politics. Um, 
Let's move on to uh, one other important thing Will reported this week, and that was uh, a mega donor, uh, a huge political donor in North Carolina, um, being revealed to be under federal investigation. Um, So Will, um, what's going on with Greg Lindbergh? Right. Greg Lindbergh is a Durham businessman. Uh, He owns uh, tons and tons and tons of companies uh, and works a lot in basically mergers and acquisitions and uh, a lot in the healthcare and insurance fields and uh, credit where credit is due. Our, uh, our competitors over at WRAL had a really good scoop on this the other day that uh, the Department of Insurance had been uh, subpoenaed for uh, all records that they had dating back for uh, four years uh, related to Mr. Lindbergh or to his various insurance companies that he owns uh, related to a uh, a criminal investigation that a federal grand jury is looking into. And so, you know, obviously this is serious stuff. Uh, we got a hold of the subpoena papers and they said that it was related to either financial fraud, money laundering, or drug crimes. And so we'll see where this goes. Um, you know, we reached out uh, to uh, to Mr. Lindbergh's lawyer and to a uh, PR person who represents him and didn't hear anything back. He famously doesn't give interviews. Uh, he's been in the news a lot because, as you mentioned, he's a massively prominent political donor in the state. Um, I don't think anyone's ever been able to talk to him for anything. He he famously just doesn't really talk to the press. And pretty new on the scene, right? He had really not given all that much money until fairly recently. Correct. Yeah, he he really didn't show up in North Carolina politics until the 2016 election uh in which he gave around a, a around a half a million dollars of his own money um or also money from a company that he owned uh to an outside uh political action committee, a PAC that Supported Wayne Goodwin, who was at the time the uh, state tr- or the state insurance commissioner, um, and as we see now, obviously there are you know the insurance commission is the one who's being subpoenaed for uh, issues related to his business. But the the Democratic Party says that uh, while they have also been subpoenaed, uh, that they don't you know they don't think that a uh, Wayne Goodwin is you know, personally involved and he has not been accused of anything. And he is obviously now he, he lost that 2016 reelection that Greg Lindbergh had put half a million dollars into. And Goodwin is now actually the chairman of the democratic party. However, uh, uh, Greg Lindbergh's contributions have been even larger to the state Republican party. Uh, he's given millions of dollars in 2016, 2017, 2018, I believe too, uh, to the, Republicans. He's actually, the last couple of years, he's been the single largest donor to the state GOP. He's also been the single largest donor to a couple of outside PACs that support Lieutenant Governor Dan Forrest, who's widely expected to run for governor in 2020. Um, I, our colleague Colin Campbell, who Domecasters know well, reported that he has spent, I believe it's over $3 million in 2016 and 2017 on uh, Dan Forrest and the GOP and various Republican-affiliated PACs. So... And the Republicans told me that they have also received uh, some some contacts from from the FBI and from federal prosecutors. Uh, not clear if that's been subpoenas or something a little bit less formal. Um, but either way, it's uh, it's clearly gearing up and uh, probably notable that uh, you know while Mr. Lindbergh is a major GOP political donor, 
the uh, the U.S. attorney who is going for all of these subpoenas and launching this grand jury is Andrew Murray, who is a Republican politician, who's the former DA in Charlotte and is now uh, Trump's pick to be the U.S. attorney for Western North Carolina. So, you know, probably who who knows if there's any you know political angles in here, but doesn't look like it from the outset. Okay. All right. Well, let's take a quick break and come back with Headliner of the Week. Please stay with us. Headliner of the Week. 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 Who's hot? And we're back with Headliner of the Week, where we decide who the most important or intriguing person in this week's news will be. Uh, Andy Spay, who's your Headliner of the Week? I'm going to go with Stephen Colbert, uh, an unlikely candidate for Headliner of the Week. Uh, But this week, our Brooke Kane wrote about his book, which is... Uh, which he's pub- his children's book that he's publishing to help victims of Hurricane Florence. It was inspired by uh, President Trump's visit uh, when he visited a man uh, who lived along the Noose River and whose uh, property had been flooded. And he asked him, is this your boat? And when the man replied that it wasn't his boat, he said, oh, at least you got a nice boat out of the deal. And so uh, the children's book is <laughs> entitled... Uh, Whose boat is this boat? And all proceeds will go to uh, hurricane victims. So that's my headliner, Stephen Colbert, uh, inspired by President Trump. Who South was Carolina North native, Carolina. right? That's right. South Carolina native uh, Stephen Colbert. All right. Stephen Colbert in the hat for uh, mocking the uh, uh, response of the president to one of the hurricane victims. When he was in uh, North Carolina. When he was in North Carolina. Uh, Will Doran, who's your headliner of the week? Uh, mine is a little bit uh, less lighthearted, I suppose you could say. Um, it's uh, Robert Howard, who's the spokesman for the North Carolina Democratic Party. Our colleague uh, Lauren Horsch wrote an article uh, digging up some past tweets of his, uh, which were all in quite bad taste. A lot of expletives being used, uh, Probably people would call it body shaming, some slut shaming, things like that. That, you know, a lot of issues that Democratic politicians are particularly sensitive to in this era of the Me Too movement and everything. I'm not going to get into a lot of the details because we would probably get in trouble with the FCC if I repeated some of these things over the air. Um, I don't think we're regulated by the FCC. <laughs> but yeah, why don't you skip it anyway? Yeah. But needless to say, lots of offensive things. And um, he acknowledged that they had been offensive. He said that they were all from before he had been the spokesman for the Democrats. And when uh, I believe he said he was uh, attempting to become a a comedian and uh, obviously did not end up doing that. Uh, But the Democratic Party is sticking by him. You know, we've obviously seen, you know, calls from Republicans, you know, highly critical of this all and everything. But it's, uh, you know, certainly certainly not good timing for the Democrats to have to be dealing with something like this as the nation is, you know, focusing on on the Me Too movement and, you know, how, how women are seen in society. All right. Robert Howard in the hat for Headliner of the Week for some of his past tweets from before he was uh, involved with the North Carolina Democratic Party. 
Um, I'm going to go with Andy's pick of Stephen Colbert uh, as a way to uh, remind people uh, to please donate to Hurricane Florence-related causes. It does not have to be Stephen Colbert's book. Uh, It could be any number of things that will be helping um, victims of the storm as they recover. Um, We're going to be dealing with the fallout from this storm for a long time. You can donate to uh, a state fund. You can donate to your favorite nonprofit that's helping people. Um, but or you can volunteer. But uh, uh, there, this was uh, uh, this was a, a deadly storm and um, one that a lot of people are still not able to, to go back to their homes because of. Um, so, uh, as for some reason, Stephen Colbert is the representative of that in this uh, in this headliner <laughs> of the week, and so Andy is our winner this week. Uh, that's it for. Domecast, I'm Jordan Schrader for Andy Spay and Will Doran. Uh, please join us next week. You've been listening to the Domecast, a production of the News and Observer and the Insider State Government News Service. You can keep up with the conversation by reading Under the Dome in the daily print edition or online at newsobserver.com. The Insider is found online at ncinsider.com. 